Well, Isaiah 10, verse 33, I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation this morning. So this is the word of the Lord. See the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Every four years in America, we get to vote on a president. And as candidates begin to run for office and, and as they uh, go around the country uh, trying to drum up support, uh, they oftentimes have a platform and they deliver a lot of promises. A lot of those promises are kept when they become president, but many of them aren't. And if you're a student of U.S. history, you might remember some of these uh, promises that were given from certain candidates. Woodrow Wilson, he pledged in 1916 to keep the U.S. out of the Great War, World War I. But it was broken in 1917 with a declaration of war on Germany. Herbert Hoover, he pledged when he ran for president to end poverty in America. And he promised to put a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. This promise was broken within one year by the worst economic depression in the history of this country. FDR, Roosevelt, he pledged in 1932 to maintain balanced budgets and to decrease government spending by 25%, as well as his pledge in 1940 to keep the U.S. out of World War II. All of those promises were broken. And then many of you remember George H.W. Bush and his famous pledge that said, Read my lips, no new taxes. The pledge was famously broken in his 1990 budget compromise to reduce the federal budget. Now, I brought these up not to throw these men under the bus. But I brought this up to to reveal to us that oftentimes in our history, and oftentimes throughout world history, you'll have leaders that will overpromise and underdeliver. They will make promises that they can't keep. And when they get into office and begin to lead a nation... They end up realizing, oh, I shouldn't have gave those promises. As we look at our text this morning, we're going to find out that we have a God who makes promises and he keeps promises. We have a God who is ruler of all. And every time he makes a promise, he intends to keep that promise. He never breaks his word. He always keeps it. The other thing I want you to think about as we look at this text is that every one of us, we long for a perfect society. 
We long for a ruler who can lead with great integrity and wisdom and who can lead with great consistency. Unfortunately, throughout our history, there has not been one perfect ruler and there has not been a perfect society. But this prophecy that was given by the prophet Isaiah, it gives us a hope that there will be a perfect society and there will be a perfect ruler. And his name is Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this text, we need to understand what we're dealing with. And the first thing I want to say is before Isaiah came on the scene and he gave this prophecy, there was a promise that God gave to his people about 250 years before Isaiah gave these words. God gave a promise to King David. And King David was close to his death. And God made a covenant promise to David that out of his line, out of his lineage, will come a king who will establish a kingdom that is forever. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, the promise that God gave David said, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This promise God gave to King David. And he said, out of your line will come a forever kingdom with a forever king who will be perfect. And he will establish a perfect society. Again, this was given about 250 years before Isaiah gave these words. So 250 years pass. And Isaiah gives this prophecy to God's people. But notice at the end of chapter 10, Isaiah didn't give the people good news. He gave them the grim reality of bad news that was coming. Look again at the end of chapter 10. Isaiah said, See the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. Isaiah, in these words, was not describing a prophecy of hope. He was describing a prophecy of despair and gloom. Have you ever been in an area that was deforested? I'll give you a hint. If you leave here today, just turn right on Kingston Pike. You'll see it. What once was a lot of trees, all greenery, beautiful, has now been chopped down, almost down to nothing but stumps. It can be a bleak setting, a pretty bad view of things. Well, this was the view and the picture that Isaiah was painting for God's people. Isaiah was saying, in a short little while, because of your wickedness, God's people, and because of the wicked kings who've ruled over you, you're going to have your tree cut to its stump. You're going to live in a bleak, gloomy environment where there's really no life to it. And it's all because of your wickedness and your sin. And God will bring the axe of judgment and he will chop your trees down all the way to its stump. You know, it's interesting, right after King David had died, there was a glimmer of hope with his son Solomon who ended up establishing the house of the Lord as the prophecy was fulfilled in that way. Solomon started off really strong as king. But then heir after heir, mistake after mistake, ended up leading to his downfall And then after Solomon, you had a divided kingdom that was a united kingdom once split into two. 
And that divided kingdom stayed divided for many years because people couldn't get along and God's leaders were wicked. Over time, God would bring the axe down on his people by bringing in two enemy nations, Assyria and Babylon, and these enemy nations would come and they would chop down the trees of God's people. And he would send God's people, they would send God's people into exile away from their homeland. Well, after the enemy nations came and chopped down the trees and pretty much made them bare and down to a stump, then we, then we know in history that it just seemed like all hope was lost for God's people. But yet I now want you to picture in this area that's deforested, I want you to picture one stump that stands out. And the reason it stands out is because it has a shoot that's coming out and forming a branch. And that branch will then turn into a magnificent, beautiful tree. That's the picture Isaiah was trying to paint to God's people. He's saying, judgment is on the way. God is going to bring the axe, and he will cut you down, and he will send you away from your homeland. But there's still hope. Because as you look around and you see all these tree stumps, there's one stump that will have life to it. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, A shoot will come, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. In the midst of a bleak, cold, dreary season, there was still hope. And there was hope that God would indeed keep his promise that he gave to David many hundred years before. Because at that time, when all this was happening, I guarantee the people of God were saying, I don't think God is really going to hold to his word. I think God is going to break his promise that he gave to David hundreds of years before, because uh, hundreds of years ago, because there's no good king now, and we're in a messed up society, and so God won't keep his word. So I imagine the, the people of God were feeling that way in this time in history, but all of a sudden, in the midst of discouragement, God brings them a glimmer of hope with this little branch that was spouting and sprouting out of this tree stump. And it was from the line of Jesse, who was the father of David. In other words, it came from the line of David. But it described how this branch would turn into a beautiful tree, and it would bear incredible fruit. Who is this branch? We know who the branch is. It's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What kind of fruit would Jesus Christ bear when he would become king? Well, verse 2 describes the kind of fruit he would bear, and it was the spirit that was anointed on him so that he would govern rightly, and he would govern with wisdom. Verse 2 says, The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the branch, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This branch would be able to bear lasting fruit because it would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is that branch, and he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. When you read through the Old Testament, you will, you will find that kings would be anointed with oil, and that symbolized the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And a godly king would be anointed with oil, and the statement would be made that this king would be anointed with the Spirit of God so that he would lead with great wisdom and integrity, and he would lead rightly. Well... As we know, as we read through the Old Testament, we realize that there wasn't one 
completely perfect king. Most of them were imperfect. Well, all of them were imperfect. Most of them were corrupt. But the reality is, is Isaiah was painting a positive picture that there would be a king who would be perfect. And he would be anointed by the Holy Spirit in a perfect way, in a complete way. Theologians call verse 2 of Isaiah 11 the, the, the verse that describes the completeness of the Holy Spirit coming upon a person. The sevenfold gifts of the Spirit. First, we see that the Spirit would be the Spirit of the Lord. This was the same Holy Spirit who established God's kingdom when he created the world as the Spirit hovered over the waters. This was the same Spirit of the Lord who anointed judges like Samson, who could destroy lions and foxes and men. This was the same Spirit who would establish God's kingdom and be laid upon the kings of the united kingdom and then even the divided kingdom. The same Spirit that was placed upon these leaders of the Old Testament would now be placed upon the key leader, Jesus Christ. And he would establish his forever kingdom with the power of the Holy Spirit that was rested on him. The Spirit also would be the Spirit of wisdom in that the Messiah would have administrative skills to govern his people well. Many of us lack in having great administrative skills. Many leaders have trouble having good administrative skills. Jesus would be that leader who would have the perfect administrative skill set, who could govern his people wisely and with great integrity because the Spirit was placed on him. The Spirit of the Lord was also the Spirit of understanding in that it gave Jesus great wisdom and insight in leading God's people well. The Spirit of counsel. When we think of counsel, we think of a counselor. This is not what what, uh, Isaiah had in mind. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 described Jesus as a wonderful counselor, which meant a counselor in war that would be a great strategist who would be able to have a good strategic plan going into war. Jesus would have the spirit laid on him so that he could lead his people into war and he would have a great strategy to do so. The spirit of might was also placed on this righteous branch in that Jesus would be the mighty God and he would lead his people into warfare. And finally, the the spirit of knowledge and fear. Knowledge in that he would be wise and submissive to the will of the Father and fear in that he would have reverence for God the Father. The sevenfold gifts of the Spirit were placed on Jesus and he was different than all other kings because no other king had the Spirit rest on him in that way. Other scholars have thought about it this way. They have said, well, the Spirit of the Lord rested on Jesus And it gave him a threefold gift gift set. One in that of wisdom and understanding for government. Another in that of spirit of counsel and might for war. And then a third gift in that the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord for spiritual leadership. In other words, when the Holy Spirit rested on the Messiah, it gave him the gifts so that he could lead in government. That he could lead his people into war. And he could lead with great spiritual authority. It doesn't get better than that. So as we look at verse 2 of chapter 11 in Isaiah, we realize who this Messiah is. What skill sets he had. And it's all because the Holy Spirit was placed on him and rested on him. So he could be the ruler that all of us are longing for. And the ruler that we all need. This enabled him to be able to bear great fruit. As we journey along through this 
these, these verses in verses 3 through 5, we then discover what kind of fruit he would bear. And it said that he would delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. And then it goes on to say, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. There's a lot here that describes how this ruler would rule. First, it describes how he would rule in the fear of the Lord. He would delight in the fear of the Lord. And let me put it this way. There are a lot of us who do not delight in the fear of the Lord. What I mean by that is, when is the last time you made a decision that had consequences to it, where before you made the decision, you thought to yourself, oh, God may be displeased by this action. I guarantee a lot of us probably don't live our lives thinking that way very often. This week, I had two very difficult counseling sessions. And as I'm counseling these families, I'm sitting there thinking, you reap what you sow. There are a lot of consequences to your actions. And have you, have you actually thought about how your actions are displeasing to God? My question to you is, when's the last time you thought before you acted and wondered, Lord, is this action I'm about to take displeasing to you? Will it be displeasing to you? I think as Christians in our, in our society, we really need to reclaim the theology of the holiness of God and having a great fear of who he is and what he is capable of doing and how he is displeased when we sin. God the Father hates when we sin. Jesus knew because he had the spirit on him and he was God, he knew to have fear in that way, a sense of awe and reverence. And so he was able to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly before the Lord. He was able to live perfectly and rightly. Now, none of us will ever be able to live that way. But all I'm suggesting for us to do is to reclaim that fear of God. That we need to remember what we reap. We will, what, we will sow what we reap. There will be consequences to our actions. And so again, I love verse 3 because it says that this king would delight in the fear of the Lord. He would also not judge and make decisions based on public opinion by what he sees. Do you notice that there? He doesn't change by public opinion or by, by bad emails and complaints that he gets from people. But instead he, instead, he rules with authority and rules consistently by God's word and by God's standard. We need leaders today and we need people today who live by God's standards. And I'm feeling, and I'm sure you are too, I'm feeling pressure almost daily to make moral decisions, whether it's here as a pastor, as a father of kids in public school, or even as a chaplain in the military. I feel like I'm every day faced with a moral dilemma. I'm sure you are too. Well, we need to embrace God's word so we can stay with the truth and not be swayed by public opinion and by the squeaky wheel. The other thing I, I, I took note here, verses 4 and 5, is that Jesus would rule with righteousness and he would care for the needy, the poor, the brokenhearted. That's who Jesus was. And he would also strike the earth with the rod of his mouth in that he would slay the wicked. He would call wickedness out and he would say, enough, this is wrong. 
He would be uncompromising in truth and he would be unwavering in love in his approach to leadership. Jeremiah 23.5 described this branch in this way in his leadership. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This king would establish a perfect forever kingdom and he would lead perfectly as the spirit of God rested on him. This is why we celebrate Christmas, because we celebrate the fact that Jesus came and fulfilled this prophecy that Isaiah gave 700 years before Jesus came. Some of you right now are thinking to yourself, okay, Seth, this all sounds great, and I'm glad I learned this, but what does it have to do with me? Well, there's four things I want you to take away from this. Number one is that there's some things in life, in our own lives, that need to be cut down in order to be built up again. God had to literally trim down the tree of David the stump of, to a stump of Jesse, and then he built it up again. When I was in college, I used to run a lot. I liked to exercise, and I used to run a lot. And I noticed my knee started hurting. I went to the doctor. They, they did an x-ray, and the doctor said, Seth, you have a loose body of tissue floating around your kneecap. And if that loose body of tissue ends up connecting with your bones and locks into your bones, you won't be able to walk. I said, when can I get surgery? (laughs) He signed me up quickly for surgery. I ended up getting surgery, arthroscopic surgery. They took out this loose body of tissue that was floating around my kneecap. And then within six to eight weeks after intense physical therapy, I was able to run again. I bring that up because I needed to have that thing taken out of me so I could be built back up again. What in your life needs to be cut down? What in your life needs to be taken out? Is it a hobby that's not helpful for you or your family? Is it a sin that you keep toying with? What is it for you that needs to just be cut down? I would encourage you to think about that so that God can build you back up into who he wants you to be. The second point to this prophecy that I want you to think about is promises. God always keeps his word. Some of you here are really discouraged. Some of you here are lonely. God promises us, his people, that he is our God, and we are his people, and he promises us that he will be with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That's a promise that's written all through the pages of Scripture. So if you're lonely and discouraged, hold on and cling to that promise. Some of you here are worried about the events of this world, about whether or not you're going to be able to make ends meet. What does God promise us, his people? He promises us two things. I will provide for your needs, not necessarily your wants. I will provide for your needs and I will protect you. God makes that promise over and over and over again to his people. So cling to that promise if you're worried about the affairs of this world or even of your own life. If you're just simply discouraged and Christmas reminds you of hurt and heartache and those that you've lost, hold on to the promise that God gives us as people that I will comfort you. I am the God of all comfort and be comforted by him. Let him comfort you this Christmas season. So instead of 
sitting by the tree and talking with your family about all the negative events of the world and all the negative events about each other, why not be positive this Christmas season and talk about the promises of God? Cling to those promises and be optimistic because there's so much hope in this season. The third thing I would suggest, the takeaway, is to live your life in the fear of the Lord and delight in the fear of the Lord. In other words, before you make a mistake and make a decision, take a minute to think about it and ask yourself, what does God say about what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say? What would God think about this? What would Jesus do? Live in the fear of the Lord and take delight in it because as we walk in the ways of God, good things will happen and God will bless us. It will be hard and as we live in this changing culture, it's going to get harder. We're going to have moral dilemmas every day, essentially. But continue to ask the Lord for wisdom and ask him to give you the fear of him, to strike the fear of him in you so that you can live rightly and pleasing to him. And the last thing I would suggest of how this applies to you is to live with hope. We're living in some pretty interesting and even hopeless times, it seems. But as Christians, we know better. We don't need to lose hope. And even when all hope seems lost, I'm here to say there's always hope. There's always hope. And what better time of year to reclaim that hope than right now, during Christmas? Christmas is the season of hope. And so let the hope of the Lord fill you with joy. That's unspeakable. Let his hope fill you with comfort and peace. Don't be hopeless. Be hopeful. One other prophecy that was given about this branch was Zechariah 3, 8, and 9. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. The prophet Zechariah prophesied that there would be a branch that would remove the sins of the land. He would clean things up, and he would also remove our sins in one single day. When Jesus came, he not only brought truth, and he ruled with truth, but he also ruled with grace. And he ruled with grace by dying on a tree so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. If you've never trusted in this Jesus, this great ruler, trust in him today. Ask him for forgiveness for all the sins you've done. Tell him you are thankful for dying for you. Give your life to him and say, I want to follow you the rest of my life. And I want to commit my life to following you in your word. Begin going to church. Keep coming. Get in a discipleship group and learn more and more about Jesus Christ. There's a great hymn called, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And Cole will play it in just a minute during communion. And it reads, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny, From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. The rod of Jesse will free us from Satan's tyranny. The branch will save us from hell. And he will give us victory over the grave. Hold on to that truth 
And may we this Christmas season, all as God's people say together, O come, O come, great Emmanuel.